So the um, Brahma Viharas, doors to the deathless, and um, what they're based upon, what they uh, bring to light and extend is the, might say, the we consciousness to others as to myself. Basis, primal sympathy or basic empathy with other beings and sensing that other beings have empathy and sympathy with you, with me, with us, our individuality. Mm-hmm. So there's no problem actually being an individual, being separate, being different, being distinct. That's part of it. That's fine. You can be who you are in your distinctness. And that, if you like, that resonates. That's like one instrument in the orchestra. Flutes don't have to be drums, but they are still welcome. <laughs> They're part of it. So to others as to myself, to each of us individually, to the whole thing, and essentially what holds it all together, makes it not discordant, is the sense of empathy, which is always balancing, sensing, tuning in, appreciating, feeling compassion, you know, letting things change, being equanimous. It's just that's the moderator, that's the conductor might say that which changes you know? so and it keeps things in harmony so there's a door to the deathless this means it, it helps to clear away some of these uh, obstructions that accentuate the sense of self that is, if I am seen as completely different, distinct, alone, unaffected, independent, you know, that's an intense self-view. Isn't it? You know? And you can see the kind of irresponsibility that can occur from that place. Pretty obvious to figure that one out. And yet, still, there can be the retained idea that somehow I will get enlightened or liberated. I'll be out of this. Somehow it occurs within me, somehow. I'll do something within me, and whatever else is going around, be whatever's going around, but basically I'll be out of it. So, a bit of self in there, maybe? (laughs) Of course... (laughs) Awakening liberation is very difficult to put in words. I think anywhere one says it's going to not going to work. But this could be one way of saying it, perhaps. But it also, you can see how it can support a kind of indifference, um, withdrawal, unhealthy withdrawal, lack of compassion, lack of real flowering, blossoming, unfolding. Mm-hmm. So we're holding one's some sense of something internal that has to be, you know, sanctified. 
Now, of course, you could also say, well, you know, the very quality of empathy is an internal one, but it doesn't actually, it's an internal receptor, but it actually senses the whole field, you know, this being, this body, this form, other forms, the relationships, the effects they have on each other, it's attuned to that. So it's lovely um, little story of the, the Arahants living in the in the grove, the four Arahants, and Urada and his friends, and they're saying, you know, they're, they're all enlightened beings, and the Buddha goes to see them, and they say, how are you doing? He says, oh, we're all fine. So we don't really do a lot together, you know, we just clean up and tidy up, and, you know, pig bucket to the farm kind of thing, every day, and that's mostly, we do that in silence. And once every five days or so, we sit together and talk on Dhamma. And we really enjoy each other's company. So this isn't a kind of, you know, continual, intense thing of continually kind of interacting, but somehow there's a sense of being in presence with each other and occasionally getting together and really being able to talk in depth about practice and realisation. These are arahants, and they say, you know, we are separate in body, but of one mind, the great mind called the Mahachitta, the mind made great. And they say things like, you know, why should I not try to help, you know, be with this, what this person is doing? You know, it's a very strong sense of, of um, primal empathy, primal sympathy. Mm-hmm. Tuning in. Um, you know, in these people it's effortless. It's just because their minds have been liberated from those contracted boundaries which can either be narcissistic or depressive or anxious or whatever, you know, what about me, what am I going to do, kind of thing. So they're actually in this very free state. And that's one way you could say, well, that's a kind of, you know, a fairly humble and accessible sense of what awakening could be about. The we, the we consciousness. And you notice how that could be, you can maybe get that sense when you're in nature. Somehow feeling that mountains and trees, they don't exactly speak, but you there's some sense of being unified or being with them or animals, creatures, you take joy in their in their lives, in their specific in, specific individuality, even though you know, squirrels are mean and spiteful and greedy and rabbits are lustful and fearful and <laughs> cats are vicious <laughs> nasty. Still so <laughs> just the fact that they are what they are. There's some sense of sentient being and there's a kind of a resonance. It's not like a you know, a tractor. Although some people probably get a resonance off a tractor. <laughs> Which is fine. If you chainsaws. <laughs> you know, it's some sense of uh, being able to, to appreciate something for what it is, even when it is a very morally attuned, you know. 
And yet somehow or another with other human beings, we can lose this, even though they are <laughs> morally attuned and uh, generous and intelligent and uh, resourceful and, you know, somehow there's all these kinds of senses of, of uncertainty or mistrust or, um, you know, un- uncertain where we stand with each other. You know, am I welcome, am I okay, am I too much, am I dominating everyone, am I needed here, am I useless, are people putting up with me? You know, these kinds of vague nuances can be shifting around in in one sense, hardly conscious, just background. Mm -hmm. Background negativity around being, you know, and... I guess everybody has history, don't they? <laughs> you know, certainly human beings have given those messages. Sometimes, you know, from day one almost. But so you know, they, those get ingrained, and they're not things you deliberately think, but they're kind of almost printed on the circuits, on the on the um, emotional how you refer to yourself immediately, not conceptually, but the immediate sense of being in the world, being in something. We all came here having been in something, been in a womb, been in a family, been in that very, you know, formative experience when you can't be independent absolutely impossible so there's all sorts of things that can come up with families and so on around that which which form your kind of basic blueprint before you can even think and get your words together so you can't solve this with ideas you've got to get to the basic you know underneath the thought patterns underneath the chat and a lot of that is actually, a lot of that stuff is really just either strategies to compensate for the sense of lack of being, you know, keep things happy, keep things chirpy, keep things busy, keep things, you know, keep me, you know, if I keep talking to myself, it gives me the feeling I'm here. <laughs> you know, you start to get under that, you find something that's kind of dull or vacuous or trembly or wanting to shrink, wanting to get back in a cave somewhere or bursting out to find something. You you get into the chitta. And of course that's our, you know, that's our ground for what we're trying to heal and free up, isn't it? And, um, you know, as we come into, you know, what sangha life is about, monastic life is one aspect of it is very much being in something. You entered into something. What have you entered into? A faceless institution? Great. Uh, something that gives you the impression that ideally you're best not to be a self at all. Don't have one. In fact, you haven't got one. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so. That may be a, a you know a final liberation, but you've actually got to get to the apparent self that's there in order to bring it out 
and free it so it can evaporate. You know, so you start off with a teaching like not self. Well, you know, obviously that's true, or apparently it's true, but yeah, apparently it isn't. You know, empirically, there seems to be something here, kicking and struggling and going up and down. Well, the Brahma Vihara act as a kind of a, uh, a crucible or a womb in which you, you which is healthy because it, it continually supports your specific arising. You know, it, it's not a coherent self, but it's it's moment after moment of arisings which call seem like me. A lot of those are bouncing off of the impressions that have formed me. You know, sense of got to do something, got to make it work, should be something. What am I supposed to be? I can't be, I'm not allowed to be, I'm not good enough to be. You know, those kinds of messages. So it gets all, you know, messed up. And sometimes you can just kind of contemplate how you sense yourself probably not all the time, but from moment to moment in in the group. You know, it changes. Sometimes you get the feeling if you've got a, you've, you know, you're the person in charge of the, whatever it is, the work or the kitchen or whatever, and you're the person who's got to do it all, and you, know, you, know, you feel the weight of that. Or you can feel you're the person who never gets there saying anything. <laughs> Dog's body. Or, you're, you know, you really want to get out of it, out of this group thing altogether. You know, or all kinds of different things can come up and they manifest themselves, you know, uncertainty, mistrust, pushiness, fearfulness, withdrawal. And the sense of it really is we, we're, well, there it is, you know, some empathy with that, what's needed. So if you like, the simplest Entry is how do you feel right now and how do you feel about feeling like that? So it's not the feeling itself, but also how do you feel about feeling like that? If you're happy, glad, um, disappointed, um, wanting something, wishing it wasn't like this, or just, well, there it is, equanimous. That's, you know, I know what we say, very fundamental empathy, and to oneself and to others. How do you think he feels about that? What would, you, what would it be like to be in her shoes? Uh-huh. What would it look like from that position? Hmm. How am I coming over from that angle? You know, it's just, you can't answer these things, but at least you can have your receptors out and consider this is actually an important part of one's education in coming out of the biases that are natural for unawakened beings. You know, to the degree to which we're unawakened, we will have these biases. And the answers aren't, there aren't the answers, you know, but you just kind of, you want to just get the, the tuning fork 
Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter if, because at least you get the sense of of uh, the consciousness opening to the we to a we sense, and sometimes you get some impressions. Sometimes they're true, sometimes they're not true. But at least you you've kind of got that you're lifting out of that pattern of being enclosed and being perhaps indifferent or having given up basically or not wanting to know because it's too much hassle and naturally there's there's some discomfort in all that we know discomfort in being with oneself discomfort in being with others but that's the that's the push that's called the unsatisfactoriness of the holy life the pain of it something like a chick in an egg inside the eggshell trying to scratch its way out against this shell of ignorance and actually you don't want that chick to give up you want it to keep scratching and being unsatisfied and poking and thrusting and chipping and pushing and you know and also what really helps is you get the sense that there's the mother bird out there pecking on the other side of the shell <laughs> and that's kind of what sangha is about and what buddha dharma sangha is about as a refuge you know there's that we align ourselves to being in the presence of the field of awakening, of the movement, of the flow of the current of awakening, in which various teachings may suddenly strike us, various actions of fellow summoners may suddenly touch us, various examples or teachings from other beings may suddenly chip a hole in our shell. So it's not by oneself alone, nor is it by another alone, but by the two breaking against this shell of ignorance. So we have a sense of, you know, resonating with Buddha, perhaps resonating with Sangha, with all the other beings who are going this way with their fed up, with their doubt, with their struggle, with their discomfort with their don't know, with their had it, with their realizations and needs and all that, the struggling chicks. One thing to, you know, one of the things that I I found, you know, is difficult is, is there something that shuts off feeling that at all? You know, the shell of ignorance comes not just as an absence of information, but an inability to feel. Avijja. So, in Pali language, vidya, seeing or clarity, is also associated with the Vedana, to feel. So it's not exactly, although, you know, Western ways of languages tend to differentiate between cognitive thought and, if you like, emotional sensitivity they're they're sort of they run together in the Pali so you know what we call wisdom 
which to us is probably a lot of you know clear idea, is much more um, know-how. You've got to feel for it. You're in touch. You're tuned in. You know? So you could say, you know, if you know how to handle, hold an egg without cracking it, you know, it's not amount of information, it's a sensitivity and awareness of that. So, you know, so, you know, one way in which we really are encouraged to develop our vidya is how do we handle ourselves? How do we not crack? How do we not smash the shell? How do we not squash the chick? How do you get a feeling for it? And it's often the feeling is this uncomfortable, you know, unsettled, churning around. And actually seeing that's not in itself, that's the suffering of the quest. That's not something you really want to stop, but you want to, you know, what's it trying to do? so that it will come to satisfaction. So it's the difference between just shutting it up or pushing it down, not feeling it, and actually feeling it and answering it, what is needed. That again is the response of empathy, what is really needed here. And again, we don't necessarily know. It could be something very easy like just back off, will you? Just give it some space. Yeah. Or, you know, come into your body a bit more. Or, um, you know, it can be various intuitive shifts when you start asking that or sensing that. Just feel, perhaps need to just relax the hands, you know. It could be just holding. What are you having? What you got that tension in your hands for? Or it could be what's happening in your forehead, you know, around your jaw. It could be just bodily things like that. And that's really interesting, because they're not conceptual answers, they're answers that come from the felt sense. But then there are these four um, delineations of that response, of metta, which is likened to the, the nourishing, likened to the mother suckling the child, nourishing, giving, well, you know, karuna is the likened, is the protective, likened or likened to the mother watching over, making sure that no harm comes to it. Do you know how to create boundaries for yourself? Say that's enough. You know? If you don't, <laughs> you get shredded. <laughs> Do you know how to protect yourself without feeling it's insulting or or not allowed, you have to say, enough now, you know, that's it. I need some space, I can't do this without feeling failure. Because that boundary often gets lost, 
you feel you've always got to give, do, make, become, perform, rise up, you know, and just for many people that's um, bleeds them, just bleed white with that. Compassion is it's enough, you know. They call it compassion fatigue, don't they? People who just keep caring and helping until they've gone knock need. <laughs> so compassion to oneself as to others is really necessary. To your body, what can it take? Recognizing if you if you do that, and it's done not from a feeling of shame or adequacy, but a positive sense of finally I've learned how to be compassionate towards myself. Wonderful. Now there's a chance the chick will actually grow, rather than be, you know, squashed up against the shell it can't possibly get through. You're actually just giving it time. And in that, part of the shell dissolves. Part of the boundary, part of the barrier dissolves. It's one's own indifference, one's own lack of real resonance and sympathy with your own system. Another very important is the um, mudita. I, I like to you know, something I really get a sense for and like to, to present because it, it, you know, compassion sounds serious and important. You know, we're being compassionate for well for all sentient beings. Yada yada, you know, charities, hospitals, leper colonies, great stuff. People having fun, <laughs> so what? <laughs> Trivial. But mudita is the sense of being able to appreciate the happiness and the welfare and the, the goodness of others and oneself. It comes from the same word as anamodana. Appreciate the goodness that's being showed here. And why we chant that, even though most people don't know what it's about, is some sense of keep trying to give back, present a mirror of the goodness, of the generosity, of the efforts that are being made. Mudita, the ability to tune in to the good, the fortunate, the happy, the cheerful, the bright, you know. So even in one in others, as in oneself, and sometimes again, you know, we need to get to the others when we've lost ourselves. That's why it really is a helpful cultivation. The Brahma Vihara, you, you think you're really in a mess or flat, or you just can't feel anything about yourself, then just look around and see the skillfulness of others without jealousy or. Um, she's a lot better than I am, that kind of thing. But just, oh, there's, you know, how lovely it is to see um, skillfulness. 
goodness, happiness. And we can use these things as reflections. So it helps you to look out for. But of course, you know, you can't really a bit of it doesn't actually happen through a thought. It just tells you where to go, maybe. You know. So you look at you look around and you realise, you know, this person who doesn't so what, so what? Well, you know, she's made a commitment. You know, she got up, she came here, she's doing this, you know, keeping the precepts. Well, that's, yeah, great. And certainly when people come here, you think, my goodness, you know, all I had to do was crawl out of bed and get into the dumb hall. This person's driven 50 miles, you know, put the kids somewhere, gave somebody to look after the dog, left the food in the in the fridge for, you know, so-and-so, jumped in the car, got through the traffic, came down here, you know, offered dana. Wow, you know, that's a lot of something good in that, for people who come to meditate. And then you look, you know, you sit at people who are actually living the life. And they often look a bit kind of, another day, a bit drab and so forth. They don't look like they're really zinging with awakening. But then in Sangha you're looking at, you realise the commitments, the precepts, the resolutions that are being lived out, not just as ideas, but really lived out. And that, the ideas of the eight precepts, you know, da, 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 so what, why bother to do that kind of thing, yeah, sounds all right, so what, you try doing it, you know, and then live, living in a community, then wow, you know, this is, this is big time. Just the push, the holding against the forces of, of doubt and me and how am I and this isn't going anywhere and dullness and stuff coming up, you know, just bearing that. You have to appreciate the quality of intention. Sometimes it's even simpler than that, isn't it? No. Just it's known when you see people doing something well. Well, see somebody, a craftsman working away, and you think, oh, he really knows what he's doing. Great, you know. Or other people's happiness. I remember when I was in uh, Switzerland recently, and uh, you know, going through some some difficult states, some senses of kind of grey and. Um, intense, well intense is just, that's normal <laughs> for me, everything is intense <laughs> even my greys are intensely colourful so it's kind of thing, like, well right, whew, you know, sitting with this and holding this and inquiring into this and 
being with this and geez, well, okay just got it so it's all right and then I thought well I could do with just a bit of movement so I go out for a walk get some exercise so you know, and I went down through the kitchen to look for some suitable footwear I came back in the, into the kitchen struggled coming out of the the back scullery as it were or the back room where the footwear's kept and just oh, no, don't really need it. and I came back into the kitchen and there's this couple of people washing up two or three of the lay women were just doing the washing up and they were they were chuckling about something or the other and so they were washing wiping their dishes and they were just chuckling to each other and I just kind of came and I saw these couple of women just ch- wiping their dishes and chuckling and just you feel really I smiled you know I thought you know there's something nice about people just getting on with what they're doing and enjoying it so I, I kind of smiled and they saw me smile as so they kind of felt slightly embarrassed so they chuckled at being smiled at so that made me laugh so they were laughing and they laughed and I laughed and they laughed louder and I laughed louder and they were laughing the tears were rolling down their face <laughs> <laughs> they were kind of reeling around the kitchen just kind of cheeks flushed with tears and I was kind of bending over roaring my head off me just laughing and laughing and laughing I never did find out what the original thing was I just kind of staggered out after <laughs> two minutes this laughing thing I just suddenly felt all this intensity just blown away. <laughs> My goodness, you know, 30 years of insight practice. <laughs> and all you need to do is see somebody laugh. <laughs> Which isn't quite true. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, the chick pushing up, pushing up, just has to feel that little tiny tap from the outside. Saying, you know, around here, it's not all kind of intense, heavy problematic, what is the meaning of life? <laughs> Out here it's also just washing the dishes and, and you know, suddenly that kind of simple, innocent, you know, just get on with it feeling, just a little tap on the outside of the shell. You know. Wow, I make a big deal out of everything. You know. Just, you know, coming out of the enclosedness of all that. And it's kind of you know, reeled out <laughs> went out for a walk and it's felt kind of really opened up by it mm-hmm. so it's humbling isn't it in a way but uh, which is good you know, I, you know, I got a sense that you know the Buddha really tried to establish Sangha the feeling that we, we might be a support for each other. <laughs> Rather than kind of endless problem solving and agendas and meetings and you know, we deal with this and that and the other, you know. It might actually just be a source of joy and, and fun and, and warmth and uh, empathy for each other. You know, we might be a community rather than a, an organisation. And that's what I, you know, you know, I'd like to emphasise, even if the organisation is a bit ramshackle at times. It's better to be 
just appreciating each other, keep the sympathy there, the rest of it is never going <laughs> to, it's never going to go anywhere useful, that useful, it's just, you know. So we'd be able to enjoy, you know, the loveliness of just people being decent and washing the dishes. It doesn't need to be that great, does it? But you sense any movement out of the stuck state, the trapped state, any movement, any way you can do that has got to be skillful. Out of the trapped psychologies of responsibility or insignificance or whatever, wherever one's stuff you know, one self-program traps you. Because that's the point, isn't it? It really isn't actually about... It's a kind of interesting relational field in that it's people are separate, people come and go, we know that. People arrive, people come, people go, people are doing their own thing, you know. And yet, there's also a we sense through which individuals can arise, form, move, change, pass. So we're not trying to hold community as this people, this number of people all the time, but as a kind of field of sympathy through which beings can learn something, know something about their karma, release something hopefully, share something, and we're touched by that. That effort, that commitment, we're touched and appreciate that. So the we sense eventually isn't really about people, it's about sankharas, good, Sankaras, confused Sankaras, you know, painful Sankaras, and about their release. Till the we sense doesn't have anything in it. It's the field of blessing. whenever we touch into that momentarily or even accept it on trust oh yeah that sounds right I think I know something like that or yeah yeah, that's right that's the way it must be and we just kind of accept it on faith it's that sense you know to acknowledge that is this so the specific individuality that you experience, can that be somehow 
with all its cranky, particularly its crankiness, the difficult bits somehow be felt held in the sense of a field of blessings without you know the, the frustrations can be held in this you know that sense of frustration and anger and giving up whatever it is somehow can still be okay that's that that's the chick that's the growth point right there that point of dukkha right there is the place we are coming into true Mm. try to just open at that place feel at that place feel what's needed for a moment at that place this is you know how the Brahma Vihara support Four Noble Truths, that sense. That's our ongoing point of practice, isn't it?